can you imagine first Swall and, and, and Titus are putting it all together for people? They're talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises, how he's, he's the one who's going to make things right. He's the one who's going to make us right. They're telling people about Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection and how we might be joined to that death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, just like Emmy was, a picture of, of baptism being connected to Jesus, connected to his death for our sins, connected to his life for our life. And, and, and people believed. Uh, so they, they go through this island and, and man, people believe. People, not everybody, but, but people hear the gospel and God's working on their hearts and they come alive. And then they repent of their sin and they put their faith in Christ and, and they, they receive kind of some teaching from Paul and, and, and Titus, but eventually they've got to leave. And, and so as Paul leaves the island, he sends Titus back and he sends Titus back to all these, these towns and villages. And he says, okay, Titus, I want you to do two things, okay? You'll find this in, in verse um, 5. He says, I want you to organize the, the church, okay? So these believers, I want you to get them together. I want you to teach them how to be the church, teach them how to, how to be God's people. And I want you to appoint and establish leaders in every city, okay? So back in verse 5, he called those leaders elders. Just a, a word basically means a, a mature person, all right? But it came to be known in the scriptures for someone who is mature in Christ, someone who had leadership potential, uh, he calls them in verse 7, overseers, okay? This is another word. Uh, it's the word where we get our word bishop, okay? It's somebody who oversees the, 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 the work of God among a particular people. And then we look last week in, in Acts where, where it uses the same, the same two words and then uses the word shepherd, okay? So what we kind of figured out from that is an elder, an overseer, a pastor, a shepherd, those are all the same person. He's all talking about spiritual leaders in the church. He, he's talking about people who will, according to Hebrews 13, 17, who will keep watch over people's souls, okay? You need that, guys. I need that. We need people in our lives who are gonna watch over our soul. We, we need small group leaders. We need Sunday school teachers. We need, we need leaders. We need pastors. We need elder people who, who are gonna look over the souls of others, okay? If you're born again, that means you're part of the body of Christ. And as a believer, you are indwelt with the Spirit of God. Now, why are you indwelt with the Spirit of God? Well, one of the reasons is, is for the building up of other believers, okay? So in other words, the Holy Spirit's gonna work through you to build up other believers, okay? The Holy Spirit's going to work through other believers to build you up in faith, okay? That's actually how Titus begins this book. He, he's talk, Paul's talking about, I'm sorry, how, how Paul begins the book of Titus. He's talking about himself in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul is servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. Paul says, that's what my life's about. My life is about the Spirit of God working through me to increase the faith of other people. That's why we are the church, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you know what it says? Verse 21, uh, a lot of you have disobeyed this, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, you can't say you don't need other Christians. Uh, it, it says that. It, it, it's, it's giving a, a metaphor of the body of Christ. And it says, you know, the eye can't say, hey, I don't need the hand. And the hand can't say, hey, I don't need the eye. So you can't say you don't need other, other believers in your life. And, and you can't say, here's another thing people say that's absolutely wrong. You can't say other people don't need you. 
All right? So if you believe what the Bible says about the church, you believe that we are pressed together in this body of believers for the purpose of God making, make, making us like Jesus through the ministry of others. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says that God gave church leaders, okay, and he gives a list of them. He says he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, all right? So in verse 7, here's where we're going to pick up. In verse 7, it says, it says instead of using the word elder, it uses the word overseer. And it says an overseer as God's steward. Okay, let's, let's pause right there for a second. So, so now we have another, another phrase that describes a spiritual leader. What is a spiritual leader? He, he's God's steward. What's a steward? It's somebody who takes care of your stuff, Okay. Um, it, whenever you leave on vacation and, and, and you, you hire some teenage kid or, or you got a neighbor and they're going to come check your mail and they're going to come, you know, water your plants and they're going to feed your dog and, and, and clean out your cat box and, and all that, please don't pick us. We're terribly, un, we're not, it's not reliable, okay? People have, have, have picked us before and then regretted it. So but anyway, pick somebody else that, that will do a good job, you know, and, and, and what are they doing? They're taking care of what's yours, right? They're taking care of your house, right? That, that's really the picture of what a steward is. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 15, there's this cool verse that says, um, let me find it here. Chapter 3, if, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So, so he describes the church as the household of God. All right, and, and, and so, so he describes a spiritual leader, all right, a pastor, a, a, a teacher, a small group leader, a deacon, an elder. He describes them as someone who, who is in charge of what, uh, what is God's, someone who's overseeing, someone who's taking care of what belongs to God. And, and if you look at Acts 20, 28, it, it says you better be real careful of that because God is pretty partial to his church. In fact, Acts 20, 28 says he bought it with the blood of his own son. Uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a movement in, in, in our country. It, it really doesn't exist in other places I've been. But in our country, there's this movement kind of that, that is bashing the church. Like, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus, but I just don't want to have a lot to do with the church. Man, you better be careful. That, that's like telling somebody, hey, I want to be your friend, but your wife, man, I can't stand her. I don't want to be around her, you know? Like, like that is a dangerous thing to do. To God, all right? You, you can't say, hey, I really like you, but I'm just out on, on your people. And I'm just out on, on, on the organization of the church. Man, that, that is against the scriptural view of what God has called us to do. So, so here a leader is described, again, another kind of term to shape our, our definition out, as a steward of, of, of God's house, of what belongs to God. A steward of the gospel, if you will. First Corinthians 4.1 tells us that. That's what a leader is. A leader is someone who's been entrusted with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You've been given this gospel. And by the way, if you're a born-again believer, you have this. Man, I, I don't like when people say, you know, that this is not me. Hey, if you're a believer, that means you know the gospel. Okay, you, you can't be a believer if you don't know the gospel. You can't be a believer if you don't understand the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm assuming, no, I'm not assuming, I'm saying you, if you are a believer today, then you know the gospel. You, you have this incredible, precious gift that, that is for the nations. And it, 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 it's God's gift to you. And now you're a steward of that gospel. Okay, that, that's a picture of what a, of a leader is, okay? 
And, and so now we break into the kind of the second half of the qualifications, all right? So if I can just give you a little refresher, last week we talked about um, just the character of a leader. And we talked about how important that is. You know, when, when Paul breaks into, okay, you need to go appoint elders, appoint leaders in this church, um, he doesn't spend a whole bunch of time saying, hey, they need to like speak well, they need to have business sense. And no, he, he doesn't really go into that at all. We'll, we'll see a little bit of that at the, at the end. But really what he's talking about is the character of a leader. Why? Because as a leader, your character is preaching. Your character is saying things. Your character is gospeling people, okay? Uh, and, and so a Christ-like character is at the top of Paul's list. And so last week, we just looked really at, at a couple big, big concepts. The first one was this idea of above reproach. Remember, we drew a line on the stage, and, and if that line is sin, then, then a leader needs to be far from that line. Everybody needs to be able to look at his life and say, well, he's not even close to that line. Okay, that, that's what above reproach means. And above reproach is sort of an umbrella that kind of extends over all of these, okay? So he needs to be above reproach in his temper and in, 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 his, in his habits and in his money, and it, right? We'll, we'll look at some of the things here. But above reproach kind of, kind of is an umbrella over everything. And then we looked at two phrases um, last week, his marriage and his family, right? So we talked about him being a husband of one wife, a one woman kind of guy, right? Like he, he is holy and, and completely committed to his wife in, in mind and eyes and, and body and, and commitment and, and, and leadership. And, and then he's a, he's a guy that manages his own household. He's a guy that gospels his own household. Whatever he believes at church, he is, he is instilling that in, in his children. He, he's praying for his kids. He's, he's being a good steward of the, of the family that God has given him. And so those were the three things that we looked at last week. And now in verse 7, we're going to jump into some other things that Paul says are really important in the life of a leader. Okay, so let's do that. So look at verse 7. So he says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach two times. He mentions that, okay? So again, I think it's an umbrella for, uh, phrase that kind of uh, goes over everything. In other words, it, it applies to what we're about to say. And then he says, as God's steward, he must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. Okay, so there, there's the first one for today. Um, he must not be arrogant. The word can mean overbearing. It can mean self-willed. It can mean uh, just demanding your own way. All right? And, and so when you look at what is a good spiritual leader, he's a guy that, that isn't arrogant and cocky and demanding that it's got to be his way. And why, by the way, it's kind of interesting. In the world, that sort of works. Like, doesn't it? Like there are certain areas in the world where, where leaders are those people, right? They're, they're people that are like, hey, it's my way or it's just my way. You know, it's only my way and it's got to be this way. And if you challenge me, I'm going I'm to knock you down, right? Like, like in the world, there, there's a, a segment of the world where that's actually kind of the definition of a leader. And, and so it's interesting that when we, when we go into the scriptures, the Bible says that, that's, that's not what a leader is at all. In fact, if you remember, we won't look at this passage, but in Mark chapter 10, um, Jesus is walking with his disciples and, and they're on the way to the cross, by the way. They don't really realize that, but Jesus has told them that. And, and the, the disciples start having this conversation about, hey, who's, who's ranked higher than who in this group, you know? And, and who's, who's gonna have the better positions, you know, when Jesus takes over, when he takes control? And, and, and Jesus stops him and he's like, guys, you know, that's not the way leadership works in the kingdom of God. Uh, in order to be a leader in the kingdom of God, you need to be a servant. Okay, that, that's what a leadership looks like in the kingdom of God is you're, you're not putting yourself over people. You're not domineering over people. You, you are rather, you know, putting yourself under people and, and looking to serve them, looking to lift them up. All right. So, so 
basically, here's what I'm saying. A guy that would be qualified to lead a big company may be disqualified to lead out in a, in a church. He may be a terrible small group leader because he's arrogant, because he's prideful, because he's, he's self-willed. It's all about him. But rather, a spiritual leader has got to be humble. He, he, can't, be, he can't be arrogant. Many of you know there's, there's a, a phrase that is so useful. It occurs several times. It occurs in James. It occurs in 1 Peter. And it's this phrase in the Bible. It says, uh, God, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Man, that is a handy dude. That, that's like pliers for a farmer, you know? I mean, man, you, you, just, you can use that in like a multitude of situations in, in which you find yourself in and just recalling that, look, if I posture myself pridefully, God will, God will resist me. And I, I don't want God to resist me. But, but God gives grace to the man who humbles himself. And, and so spiritual leadership should be characterized by humility. There's this great passage in James that talks about wisdom, okay? Uh, it's kind of long, but I, I just want to buzz through it real quickly with you. I think we have time. So James 3 verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, meekness is a word that is kind of wrapped up in humility, okay? So he say, he's saying wisdom is humble. And then he says this, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. All right? And, and, and so the Bible's saying, look, if you, if you think you're wise and you, you have this arrogant, prideful, my way only, self-willed, I'm the boss, I'm the one who knows, if you have that spirit, that, that, is, that is not wise. You, you're not having wisdom. And, and then let's go on. Uh, verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be every disorder and every vile practice. But listen to this, verse 17, here's your definition of biblical wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. My favorite phrase in there is open to reason. I mean, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that describe a good leader? A guy who's willing to listen, he's, he's open to reason, uh, he, he's not self-willed, he, he doesn't have this idea that, you know what, I couldn't be wrong on, on anything. Uh, he's a guy who's open to reason. First Peter 5, 3, in describing pastors, said a pastor should not domineer. He should not be domineering over those in his charge, but be an example of, to the flock. And so you have this picture emerging of a spiritual leader in which he is humble. He's willing to listen. Uh, he's not self-willed. He's not demanding his own way. He's willing to serve people. He, he is looking for how he can bless, how he can contribute. When, 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 he, when he sees you, he, he's saying, okay, how can I help this person follow Jesus? How can I help this person obey the scriptures? How can I help this person um, be a blessing to their family? How can I help them thrive in the Lord? That, that's what a spiritual leader is doing. In Philippians chapter 2, a uh, great picture of Paul describing his own ministry. And, and here, here's the way he describes himself in, in Philippians 2.17. He says, even if I am being poured out, okay, he's talking about his life. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. All right. But basically Paul says, I'm pouring my life out for other people. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm just dumping it out. Like my energy, my resources, my, my effort, I, it, it's being poured out all into other people for their, for their good so that they might follow Jesus and trust him more. And, and Paul says, man, I couldn't be happier about that. A lot of times when we feel like we're pouring our life out, we're like, wait, hold up. You know, 
Y'all are, y'all are, I mean, y'all are sucking me dry. Have you ever heard that before? You know, you're sucking me dry, man. You're, you're, you are a life sucker, okay? And, and, and Paul's like, yep, I'm dumping my life out. And, and, and I couldn't be happier about that because Paul kind of understood what does it mean to be a spiritual leader. And so, so right here, first characteristic is a, a, guy, a guy, a gal that's going to be a spiritual leader in God's people. They've got to be someone who is humble. They cannot be arrogant. Okay, let's go to the next one. All right, so we're still in, in verse 7 here in Titus chapter 1, um, verse 7. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, all right? This is a word that means inclined to anger, all right? You know, some people have a, a pool of volcanic lava just bubbling underneath the surface. Have you, have you noticed that? Uh, and, and, and you just, you, you, you don't know what's going to come out, and you don't know what's going to trigger it, but man, it is, it is there and bubbling up. And, and sometimes it doesn't even bubble out in an explosion, now, you would think that people that are inclined to anger, anger it would always kind of come out in this, you know, ha, ah, wrath. Uh, actually not. Like for some people, it comes out in a, in, in a barbed criticism of almost everything. Uh, for other people, there's this, this constant stream of critical comments. Uh, for other folks, it's this picking at people. Like nobody can ever be enough or do enough and nobody ever does it right. Man, man, I just want you to stop and evaluate yourself. If most, if 95% of your comments about other people and other things are all negative, man, what's, what is that inside of you? Uh, what's inside of you that, that's causing that? Later on in the text, and we won't have much time to get to it, but he talks about a leader being someone who is a lover of good. All right, and, and so if, if everybody's always deficient, if everybody's always doing it wrong, and you're the only one doing it right, and, and you got nothing but criticism for everything, man, that, I think there may be something in you that is, is not consistent with spiritual leadership. Sometimes this, this anger comes out in saying really mean things through smiling lips. Uh, this is the tricky thing. Sometimes people can have this kind of inclination toward anger, but it's not obvious. All right? Or maybe it's, maybe it's a harshness, or maybe it's a roughness with people, or maybe it's a cold indifference. But listen, if you don't deal with your anger, you cannot effectively lead people. If you don't deal with your anger, here, here's a, one of the scary things for me. You can't lead your family. Like, like, there, there's, there's, there's people that are incredibly gifted, articulate in the scriptures. They're incredibly wise about things in the world. But man, they, they cannot lead their family well. Like it, it, They just keep tripping up over and over and over again in their family because of this. It's because they have this bubbling anger on the inside that just leaks out and it undercuts all the good that they really want to do. By the way, here's some really good news. We've had a lot of bad, so let's get some good. God is slow to anger. How many times in the Bible does it talk about that? In fact, in fact, if you, if you remember our Exodus series, when God is revealing his, his name to, to Moses, you know, part, part of his, his name is he, is he is slow to anger. He is steadfast in his love. I mean, aren't we glad? And God is offended again and again and again and again, and yet he holds back his wrath. People reject him and they mock him and they disobey him and they attack him and they attack his children and attack his image and slaughter the innocent and the unborn and the vulnerable. And people lie about him and they deceive others about his character and they malign him and they deny him and they teach others that he, that he does not exist. And yet he holds back his wrath. Is that not phenomenally amazing? Huh? 
That, that God is that way. That he is not quick to wrath. That he doesn't have this trigger temper. That you don't, you don't slip up and God just sends the lightning out of heaven and, and wipes you out for giving you what you deserve. God is not that way. His anger is never unjustified. It is never unmerited. It will come, but not without miles and miles and miles of patience and forbearance. Man, surely you love that about him. Surely you love that about God. Surely your heart must burst with gratitude that God is so slow to anger because if he were not, you and I would be in hell right now. And so when we're told that we're supposed to bear with the weak and bear one another's burdens and not be quick to anger and not be, not be quick to judge and be critical and we're supposed to be patient and enduring and forbearing, man, it's, it's out of our connection with our Father that we are that way. My friends, if, if your sinful flesh is out of control, you will not be able to rightly take care of other people in the church, in your family. Shepherding people, okay, that, that's another name for leading, right? Shepherding people means helping difficult people in difficult situations. It means speaking truth to people in emotionally charged situations. It means dealing with issues that evoke strong feelings, and your anger just doesn't help. There's this great verse, uh, James 1.20. Almost everybody, I, I start out with uh, the DT groups. We start in James, and so it's one of the things we hit right away. But James 1.20 says, let's see, 19's like, be, uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And then 20 says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, and, and man, who all can give a testimony about that? I, I sure can. Like, I can't think of a time when my anger brought about the righteousness of God. There's a great verse um, to live by, another, another pliers, okay? Um, Proverbs 15.1. Man, this thing saves the day. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. I can't tell you how many times I've been in an emotionally charged situation, and that verse, I'm saying it in my head, you know? You don't usually say it out loud because that kind of, that tips people off that you're mad, you know? So you say it in your head, you know? And just, you're standing there in the heat of the moment, and, and I'm just saying to my head, man, Jason, a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. And, and man, it's grabbing onto that truth that, that will enable you to, to win the day, if you will. Here's the deal about the church. If we do this right, okay, if we do it right, we're pressed together, right? Our lives are intertwined uh, for the sake of the gospel. Now, now, some of you, you, you've made a strong commitment to avoid that, right? You made a strong commitment to avoid that. You, 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 you have a strategic way of getting in and out and without having too much entanglement because you know that people are so messy, right, and, and aggravating, and you've already got plenty of that in the rest of your life, okay? But I would just say this. The more you avoid that, the more certain it is that you will limit your leadership and influence in the kingdom of God. That there isn't a way to step out of the mess and still be an effective disciple maker. There, you just can't do it. You gotta be in the mess. And, and so as the church, we're speaking truth to one another and we're meeting together and our families are together and we're serving together. You know what happens when your family's together, right? Like 
Asher breaks something at your house, you know, right? Like, like that's what happens when your families are together, right? And, and, and you're doing children's ministry together, and that's frustrating. And, and you're taking the gospel to our community, and you're, you're taking it to the nations together, and, and you're pushing millions of dollars into ministry and homelessness and benevolence and water wells and sewing centers and orphan, orphan homes and church plants, and, and nobody really agrees about what's the priority there and, and, and where it should go and how much and how we should do it, and, and, and but we've got to do it. it it's our job to do it, and we're attempting hard things together, and we're trying to trying to do complicated relationships and deal with complicated problems and sin problems and then add tragedy and pain and suffering into all that. And a leader can't be a person who takes offense all the time. You just won't make it. Man, you I'll, I'll just give you a very specific example. You will not make it as a small group leader. Very long. You, you could do it for a couple of semesters, maybe a couple of years, but you will not do it very long if critical people, cranky people, opposition, if that, if that, if you can't get through that. Friend, you know, tell you, you want me to tell you the biggest sting for me? It's friends that disagree with me. Friends. I, I might, the other stuff for some reason doesn't bother me that much. Uh, in, in fact, sometimes it, I think it's a little reassuring. You know, some of my best letters that I've kept have been, you know, those that are just over the top, you know. Uh, my favorite one, I've told you about it before, it was, a, it was one about the men's ministry. And basically it was, you all are a big joke, you know. And, and everything you say is a joke. And I can't believe you just won't be quiet, you know. And I'm like, I, when I read stuff like that, I'm like, I must be doing something right, you know. Like, like for somebody to be this mad, you know. But the ones that really hurt are when, when it's your friends, you know? It's people that you're side by side and, oh. People who wish you did more. Others who say you're doing too much and meddling. People who complain that they're overlooked, they're neglected, they're not cared for. People have expectations that you simply can't attain. Man, a leader cannot be offended over those things. You can't, you can't have this low-grade fever that's just always under the surface. You won't, you won't last. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Man, solid verses, right? Be angry and do not sin. And don't let the sun go down in your anger. You gotta you got deal with that stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying it won't hurt. It will. But, but like you gotta take it to the cross and you gotta, you gotta appropriate the blood of Jesus and you gotta remember the gospel and you gotta you know, go, to, go to Jesus, your example. There's plenty of tools there. And, and you got to get that off of you. Because if you don't, what, what, is, what does Ephesians 4, 26, 27 clearly say? The devil will have an opportunity in your life. You give him a shot. It's like the boxer that says, okay, you get a free one, you know. It's just not, it's not wise. All right, let's keep going. Verse 7. An overseer's God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard. All right. I really debated. I, I could do this one fast because a lot of these others I'm about to spin through. And this one I wanted to do fast. And uh, I even did a test case yesterday. Uh, I got a demographic similar to you guys. And, and it was a disaster. And uh, so I, I, the smart guy would just 
stop, you know, and, and not do this, but okay, let's go ahead and try. I'm just hot. This doesn't mean anything. Um, so I thought it was going to be cold today. Um, all right. So what do we, what, what's clear? This, this is a good way to do this. What, what's, what's clear? Okay, what's clear is don't be drunk with wine. Like that, that's the clear teaching in the scripture. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So you should not drink to the point where you're under the influence of alcohol. You should not drink to the point where it's controlling you, where it's influencing your decisions, your will, your emotional clarity. What, what should you do instead? You should drink the Spirit, okay? That, I mean, that, that's literally what Paul says in Ephesians 5.18. He, he says, drink, in other words, drink of the Word of God and the Spirit of God to the point that it is controlling you. It is completely influencing you. It is shaping your decisions and your will and your emotional state. So we know that's for sure. What else do we know for sure? Well, is the consuming of alcohol in moderation condemned in the Scriptures? No, it's not. Um, and here's where some of you are going to write letters. But anyway, it's, it's, just, it's just not. I mean, you can try your best, but Jesus, his first miracle, he turned water into wine at a wedding. And it was the good stuff. It wasn't the stuff you buy at the C-Mart in a box. I mean, it was that stuff that people, you know, ship in from Italy and, and they do this thing and they're like, hmm, it was a wet year and there were some thistles growing on the east side and a butterfly flew through on March 1st, you know. I, don't, I have no idea what any of that means. I've just seen it on TV, you know. Uh, I don't even know that I've ever smelled. What does that smell like? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, it was that stuff, though, right? Like, like the people were like, whoa, this is, a, you know. Like, like so, so, clear. I mean, that's there. The psalmist equates wine with celebration and gladness. So the next question then, okay, so what does it look like to be above reproach in the area of alcohol? And, and here's where things get different. 24 years ago, when I came to this church, um, what it meant for the majority of the congregation was just abstinence. So you just, you just didn't drink, you know? Like you just, okay, we're done with that. Um, it was cut and dry. It was, like, super easy, um, especially for many of us. I, I put myself in this category, my wife in this category, who before our conversion really struggled with alcohol addiction. We, we were surrounded by people who, were, who struggled with alcohol addiction. We saw a lot of bad things that happened. We did a lot of bad things that happened, you know, that, that when, when, you know, just having our, 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 our inhibitions lowered brought out even more of our wicked heart than, than when we were sober. And, and, and so for a lot of folks, and I was in that category, it's just like, man, I don't need this. Like, like I have enough, I have enough, I have a hard enough time killing my old sinful self, you know, without a drug like weakening my 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 will to do that. And so that's where a lot of people were. Now, um, in the last ten or fifteen years, there's been really a new generation of believers who have have kind of come into leadership, who who would say, you know what, that's a great choice for for many of you. Uh, for others, though, for us, uh, we believe that the Bible is teaching careful moderation is an acceptable above reproach standard, okay? Um, I think they would argue a couple things. They, they would argue, number one, it builds a bridge to our community. So, so for lots of people around the world, alcohol is uh, associated with 
weddings and celebration and uh, friendships and, and all of those things. And, and so they would make the case that it's building a bridge into that. Um, it, it's not, it, and here, here's probably the strongest case that they can make. It's that, it's that we don't ever want the gospel to be confused. And, I, and it has been. Like, like, like to their point, it ha, I've, I've ran into people in this community that when I ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian, they give me the total wrong answer, okay? And, and so we don't want the gospel to be associated with, well, what the gospel is, is Jesus plus I don't dance, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, you know? I mean, that, that's, been, that's been a Bible Belt misunderstanding, you know, it's, it's like, what is the gospel? Well, you don't drink, you know, you, you don't dance, you don't play cards. I mean, if you go back further in like the 50s, it was, you don't play cards, you know. And, and, and man, that is not the gospel. The, the gospel is man is broken in his sin, and God loves you in your sin. And God sent his son Jesus to be the perfect man, to live the life that you could not and have not lived. And, and then he died a substitutionary death, and he rose from the grave victorious, and he invites whoever will repent and believe can be joined, connected to him, to his resurrection life. That's what Emmy's saying there, is I am joined to Jesus' death, to his burial and his resurrection, and my righteousness is his. It's his in me. And now I'm alive, and the Spirit of God is in me, and I'm living by faith, and my life's being transformed into a transforming life. And there's really nothing about alcohol in there. So, what does that mean for spiritual leaders? Well, I would just say this. You need to find a way to be above reproach. Um, and honestly, I think it's going to mean different things for different people. It's going to mean different things for me than probably for many of you. Um, you need to find a way. You need to make sure you're above reproach. Really, everybody does. Every believer does. You're above reproach in the area of alcohol. Another big rock, you need to make sure that you don't cause your brother to stumble. Man, I, I remember being at a wedding it's been many years ago. We were at a wedding, and like we weren't just attending. We were like kind of front and center, kind of, you know, it was connected. We were, we were close with the bride and groom. And so actually, I think Emma was actually up on the front table. And at uh, and, and the same time, this guy that we had been gospeling, who had been a terrible alcoholic, uh, cocaine addict. I mean, he had, he had been in prison. He had just gotten out. He had changed his life. He had turned it around. He was going to AA and NA meetings every night. Like every night. Like, like he was just holding on to sobriety, you know? And, and so we're there and he's there, you know? And, and it comes time for the, the toast, you know? And like, you know, so we got the bride and groom that are like, you're celebrating with us, right? We're happy, you know? And we got this guy, man, I just couldn't do it. And Emma, we, Emma couldn't do it. Like, like, we, we kind of faked it. You know, we did the whole, <laughs> Some of you are going to be like, that's stupid. I, I don't know. I just, I, and I don't know. Like maybe he, didn't, he wouldn't have cared. I, I just, I deeply did not want to be a stumbling block to him in any way. I was so happy with what God was doing in him, you know, and wanted to be a part of that. And so, there's a situation where I think above reproach means, man, you, you're careful with your brother. Um, here's my funny, uh, this is kind of, I think it's funny. Uh, here's my funny story about maybe missing the mark. So this has been over a decade ago probably uh, in this town, and there's a, a pastor not in our church, not even in our denomination, okay? So don't be like trying to think, is this Pastor Gary? You know, no. 
<laughs> you wouldn't know him. I mean, like, especially if you've been a Baptist, you wouldn't know him. Okay? No. But anyway, he was leaving, and so he puts a text on the, or an email, I think it was, on the ministerial alliance that I'm a part of. Or they send me emails anyway. And he says, hey, I'm leaving. I'm having a garage sale. I'm selling a whole bunch of my books. I uh, thought you guys might be interested. I'm like, oh, I want to see what this guy's got. So I go over, and, and he's having a garage sale. And um, again, I don't know him. Uh, I maybe knew his name. Uh, he's having a garage sale. And, and, and so when I get there, he is like loading stuff out for people. You know when you have a garage sale, you're like, how much is this? Well, it's, you know, it's this much, it's this much. And, you know, you want to buy that? Or let me help you out of the car with it. And, but he's doing all of that while he's holding this fancy glass of wine, you know, like, like as he's garage sailing, you know. And so I, I just remember it just seemed funny to me, you know. He's like, here, let me help you with that. You know, let me, oh, no, that's $5. I'll get, you know. And, and he's like, and, and I just remember leaving thinking, that was weird, you know. I mean, I mean, you know, if, if it had been like he's at dinner or he's, you know, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have thought anything about it. But, like, I'm just like, when you're garage sailing, you know, I, I mean, he's like, it's picture like, I'm thinking he's like mowing his lawn, you know, pushing, <laughs> trimming his trees, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah. But it, it, just, it just, it caused me to wonder. I, I just don't want people to wonder. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to, to be in situations or, again, there, here's the line. And I, I don't want to malign the guy. That may, I, who knows what happened. Like, that may have been the first drink he'd had in five, five years. And, and maybe, like, his best buddy was over right before that and said, I want to celebrate your new position. And so, you know, here I brought it. I don't know. Like, maybe it was all legit. It just seemed funny to me, you know. Um. And it's just, I think it's a lesson about looking at how will other people look at this. All right, we got to go quick here. I spent too much time on probably something I should just skip. But anyway, um, not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent. I think that's obvious. Greedy for gain. Greedy for gain is, is a phrase that means a guy that isn't money hungry, a guy that isn't primarily about gaining money, a guy that isn't, you know, leveraging his life for the sake of money. Um, and then the other one, okay, so we have a switch right here, okay? So in the text, you have a switch. Uh, it's good that verse 8 starts because now these are positive. So before it was don't be this, don't be this, don't be this. Okay, now verse 8 starts that do be this, okay? So verse 8 is be hospitable. Um, hospital is to open, open your life to others, particularly strangers, okay? If, if you're saying, I'm real hospitable, I let my kids come home every day, you know, and I, I open the door for them, okay? That's not hospitable. You know, I have my grandkids over all the time. You're just a good grandparent, okay? That's not hospitable. Hospitable is you have, I think John Piper had a great definition. What was it? He said, um, um, you open your home uh, to people who don't ordinarily belong there. There, there you go. That, that's a great definition. Like people that wouldn't normally be there. And, and really, I think it's, it's, it's you, you open your life up. Like, you, like people can be, people are in your home, people are in your car, people are with you in your meals, people are, you know, you're sharing your stuff, you're, you're sharing who you are. You, you, here's one of the big things, you like people. I mean, I, I've known a lot of pastors who honestly, like, I don't think they liked people, you know, and maybe they did in the beginning and then they, did, they had the low grade fever of anger, you know, I, I don't know, but, but it just seemed like they didn't like people. Well, man, that, that's a hard thing to pull off. All right, we, we got to go fast here. I want to get to, to the end. All right, so um, hospitable, uh, lover of good, 
Uh, self-controlled, really that goes along with the anger, the pride, the drunk, you know, all that, controlling yourself, upright, holy, discipline. Discipline would be right in line with what we've already talked about. Let's go to verse nine. Okay, here we go. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, so, all right. What, what does a leader do, okay? So we looked at this last week in Hebrews 13, 7. A leader speaks the word of God to people, all right? His tool, his method, his strategy is the word of God, all right? You can't be a spiritual leader without being immersed in the scriptures, all right? And, and what he says here is you cling to the scriptures. Notice that in verse 9? He says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word. Hold firm to it. Have a death grip on the word of God. How do you lead people? How how do you build faith in people? How how do you bring about obedience to Jesus and life transformation in people? Through the word. Through through the gospel. Through the life and ministry of Jesus. Through the character of God. Through through the mission and, and the sanctification. The truths there. Okay, remember a couple weeks ago, we looked, God cannot lie. His word can be depended upon. So, so use the word. Speak the word to others. Explain the truths of the Bible. Apply those truths to everyday situations. Proclaim the promises of God. Pray the scriptures to people. Wield the scriptures against temptation. Use the scriptures to comfort the, the brokenhearted, to heal the, the people that have been damaged. Use the scriptures to create identity in people, to form mission in people, to build discernment in people, to guide people through decisions in, in, in the gray areas of life. Use the word. In, in two big ways here. Go back to verse 9. Okay? The first way is, is, is give instruction. Okay, this is in verse 9. So that they may be able to give instruction. Literally, that means encouragement. It's perikaleo. It's the word perikaleo, which means to draw to one side. Um, man, I, my, the favorite pic, I think my favorite picture that my wife ever took of, of my son, my oldest son and I, uh, was after he had just gotten uh, whipped in a wrestling match somewhere. We were somewhere down south, Ada or something like that. And man, he he just he had a tough tough kid, and, and he made a mistake, and and just you know, I, I, he was just broken over the deal, and came off the mat. He usually was pretty fine, but man, he I could just tell he he was he he was he was gut hurt, you know, and and I just went over there. I remember going over the edge of the gym when it was appropriate. I, I snuck over there, and I just put my arm around him, and, and and I was just like encouraging him. I was just hey. Here's what's true, all right? Here's what's true about life. Here's what's true about that match. Here's what's true about the rest of your life. Here's what's true about what's important. Here's what's true about who you are. Here's what's true about your, yeah, I was just reminding him of, of truths and encouraging him forward. Kind of put this whole thing in perspective. I think that's perikaleo, but it's with the scriptures. It's, it's to come alongside somebody and say, hey, here's what's true. Here's what's true. The second thing there, so, so a spiritual leader's got to speak the truth to people. He's got to use it to instruct in sound doctrine and healthy teaching. He's got a pericolae who's got to come alongside, okay? But then he's also got to rebuke, see that second part? Rebuke those who contradict it. So there's your two sides of how you use the word. The word rebuke means to prove one in the wrong. It means, it means people believe wrong things. They believe wrong things about God, uh, about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus, about themselves, about right and wrong, about sin, about righteousness. They believe wrong things about suffering and evil and joy and glory. They believe wrong things about sex and marriage and family. They believe wrong things about heaven and hell. Guys, the world is full of people that are confused about all those things. And, and, and their life is a reflection of that. 
And so, so not only do you have to come alongside with the word and parakaleo, encourage, instruct, you also have to come aside and correct. Literally, the, the word means expose the lie. And, and 2 Timothy, I, I, I would encourage you with this. 2 Timothy 2.25, I, I think this is the, the general rule, okay? 2 Timothy 2.25, speaking to spiritual leaders again, says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Most of the time, it needs to be done with gentleness. Man, I, I wish you could have been there a few weeks ago. Um, we, we had this situation where um, somebody was speaking a bunch of untrue things, okay? And, and I thought the beautiful thing about the situation was Crystal was parakaleoing and I was rebuking with gentleness, you know? Um, like she would come in and be like, God loves you. You know, here's God's plan. Here's, here's, here's what Christ has done for you. And then I could come in gently, because she was doing that, I could come in and say, okay, but, but what you just said is not right. And, and that's not true. And that's harmful. You know, and I don't want you saying that to other people. And, and there's a need for both of those. Now, there's surely, there's surely a time where there's a need for a more heavy hand. Um, I had a phone call this week this week, and I, I happened to be, like, everybody else was busy, and so I took the phone at the church, and it was actually meant for somebody else. I know it was meant for somebody else because this person doesn't like me, so they wouldn't have called me. And, uh, but anyway, we, we have a long history of, of, and I feel like I've done it as gentle as possible, of, of correcting lies. Um, he has not always been gentle. In fact, I've had a lot of spittle on my face from this guy, and, and like, like a lot of, like literally screaming in my face. And, and so there's a time where there's a, a more direct approach that's needed. And then I don't know if this is going to be helpful to anybody. There's also a time where I think it's not time. And uh, I really felt that this call. So the person he wanted wasn't there. And so we kind of had some pleasantries. He you know, told me how he was doing, kind of reminded me again that I was wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I, I paused for a second, I, and really I just thought, man, we've been through this 50 times. And, and I, that verse went through my mind where Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. I, I know that's a graphic verse, but it's in the Bible, and it's about this. And, and I, just, I just felt that it was time for me to say, hey, I wish you well. I wish you well. I'll, I'll tell so-and-so you called. And uh, we left it at that. How are you using the word? Are you using it in your parenting? Are you using it in your friendships? Are you using it in your business? Are you, are you using the word? And that is so at the heart of spiritual leadership. It's speaking the truth of God's word. Sometimes parakaleo, sometimes come alongside in encouragement, and sometimes in rebuke but it's, it's centered in speaking the word of God to people. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask you, um, just now, Father, I invite you um, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction where conviction is needed today. Father, if it's in the area of arrogance or, or pride or humility, God, I pray that you would um, bring conviction and that you would bring um, transformation. Um, that there would be an immersing in humility that would take place. 
Um, Father, I, I'm asking you, Lord, if, if there are, are those who are inclined to anger, God, if you wouldn't just bring conviction there and, and set them free, God, that you being slow to anger would win them over. Father, I, I pray that if there's hospitality that's needed, if there's, if there's undisciplined excess, God, that you would bring conviction there. God, that you'd convict people to open their homes, open their lives. Father, you would bring about um, a desire for servant leadership. Father, I pray that you would enable us to speak your truth. God, just all, all these things, God, we ask that your spirit would, would move and that you would shape us. And God, that we might leave here being obedient people. Father, I, I pray for obedience. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.